The following podcast is brought to you by cdkoffers.com. Use offer code broken silicon for 25% off Windows codes and die shrink for 3% off all other codes. And then it is also brought to you by the henma.com. Use Moore's Law for 10% off your first order of coffee. All right, let's get to the show. Welcome to Broken Silicon, a computer hardware and gaming podcast. I am your host, Tom, and I am joined by the lack of a dog in the background today. Dan, she will probably make an appearance very soon, though. Now, have you taken her collar off already so she's not shaking that around? Uh, Yes, I have. Uh, One of the earlier episodes that probably got picked up, sometimes she just uh, itches her neck for like, in obscenely long time with her paws she'll just scratch her neck for like a minute and a half straight like she will <laughs> straight up just sit there with a dumb look on her face scratching and just stare at you for a minute straight and currently looking at her she knows we're talking about her um so yeah but anyways what you were saying is if you've heard shaking chains in the background in previous episodes it might be dan's goofy dog or also there are christmas ghosts that tend to haunt us every now and then i mean yeah you can't really ever get rid of the christmas ghosts but you just need to learn to deal with them i've been trying to make them go away i'm told if i get a christmas goose and give it to all the good boys and girls in the snowy village they'll go away but I don't know where you get a goose. They're they're not. It's hard to find every type of meat right now at Hy-Vee. So <laughs> getting a Christmas goose is not the easiest thing. Also, I don't think goose tastes that good. Goose is one of the lower game meats, I would say. This is Broken Silicon, <laughs> an exclusively gaming and computer hardware podcast where we never talk about anything else. It's been a pretty week for the channel. There was the Cellular 2080 Ti video, and then, of course, the giant I Think Ampere May Actually Lose video is what you might want to call it. I know there's a lot of new patrons here. This, this might be the first Broken Silicon. I'm sure it will be that many people hear this week. And so I guess, I don't know, wel- welcome to the family. Yeah, welcome. Glad you're finally here. There are a couple of plugs I have, though, um, to the new patrons. Remember that if you are a patron at the Unlocked Fourth Core level or higher, you get access to the podcast early. It is ad free. You can add the RSS feed from the Patreon app to any podcast app. So you don't even need to touch it after first, you know, copying and pasting that in. It'll just constantly update you with that. A new die shrinks. The last die shrink was about what was the it was about vega that's right we recapped how much hype there was around vega we have one coming out about crt monitors and like the early lcd days we have another podcast coming out about halo in the next month and there's probably a mailbag after that and then additionally there will believe it or not longtime fans be a new flyover states coming out this week uh to patrons first again with no ads uh so all of that you can look forward to they're exciting times dan it's a real smorgasbord of content. Yeah. And um, I'm trying to think if there was anything else. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, welcome new listeners. Remember, uh, Patreon is what makes this go. 
And uh, I don't know. Let's get into a couple of reader mails in the beginning here. Ivan. Oh, boy. Coley Bob Yuck. That's, that's my attempt, man. Uh, writes, since this zombie crisis in the real world started this year, many YouTubers have picked up the idea of cooking as an off-topic funny theme. Will we ever see a video from Dan and Tom cooking some food they particularly enjoy during the dark days of the real-life quarantine? I mean, I think I've answered this before with previous people that are previous. This has somewhat been asked before in Reader Mails uh, months ago, but I wouldn't rule it out. I do actually have <laughs> an account on what I think it's called Cook at Cookpad now. They changed the name of this cooking app. I don't know if you've noticed, Dan. Yeah, like every few months for some god dang reason. And logos. Didn't it used to be an avocado for the logo for a while for some I, weird reason? Now I it's don't just remember a chef's anymore. App. <laughs> Anyways, it's a cooking app where you can make recipes. I use it to just store my recipes, but then other people try them out. It's kind of like a social recipe app. And I use it to just find what other people are making too. Instead of going to Google, I'll just be like, Who, what are the top rated, you know, turkey or roast chicken recipes? And then I'll get a couple tips from that. So if you can find Tom on Cookpad, you'll see I already have 24 recipes there and 87 followers. <laughs> but I don't think that would come anytime soon, given that I am currently halfway across the country from you. So that's true. And I don't think we want to do any awkward. What if we just started cooking at the same time and we could see who finished first and then did a taste test where we only tasted our own food and said we won ourselves? That would be really good. <laughs> Noticing some sarcasm there. Yeah, yeah. That there is a little bit of sarcasm in that. I will say this. I'm sure I'd win. Yeah, I'm a quicker <laughs> cooker. I'm just going to put it full stop. I am a quicker cooker than Dan. Living with you in quarantine for a while. It was abundantly clear. Blokes writes in and he says, I'm allowed to insult you, Dan. I'm allowed to insult your dog. I'm allowed to insult your choice of food. Whether I choose to invoke my ability to do so is another matter entirely. But maybe go fuck yourself, Dan. Well, maybe go we fuck yourself. <laughs> I think I added go fuck yourself to that, by the way. I don't think he actually wrote that. That got very aggressive. It. That got very aggressive at the end. But I don't know. remember what this was. I think it was you yelling. I'm sure we yelled at blokes before. That seems to be a reoccurring theme every episode at this point. Yeah, I think with blokes in particular too. For some reason, I don't know why. <laughs> you ask good questions, blokes. I think he invites it. He does. Jory writes in and he says, a lot of people have issues with VR headsets, sometimes due to resolution scaling and sometimes due to motion tearing and low frame rates. So how about a CRT VR headset? Jory, are you fucking nuts? I'm sorry, a CRT headset. The only thing that could make my make CRT worse is by bringing it closer to my face. <laughs> and, and that's something we're going to cover in a die shrink as we look at the late CRT days and the early LCD days. But Dan, you believe you used to just straight up get headaches when CRT monitors were around you for a while. I, I can't say that it was the CRT monitors, but I will say uh, in, I had a headache almost every day for years and I don't get them anymore. So I don't know if the CRT monitors are related to that, but a lot of people seem to think it gives them headaches. Well, that's the thing is when we were looking at putting together the notes for the CRT episode, we found a lot of forums in like the early 2000s where people were like, I can finally game without getting a headache. 
Yeah. Like a lot of people said that. So that's where this uh, assumption comes from. We're not just making it up. Like it is uh, apparently a lot of people in early 2000s forums talked about this, that they switched to LCD so they wouldn't get headaches anymore. Yeah. And like I went to a doctor for it and everything. They couldn't figure out why I was getting headaches all the time. But no, no CRT VR headsets. Dominique Cock writes in and he says, your word is my command. Like you guys said at the end of the last episode, I got naked on my roof and yelled, follow Moore's law is dead on YouTube three times in succession. I did hear someone yell, shut the fuck up. So I have a feeling it worked. Hey, maybe that's one of the new subscribers. Maybe that person is currently listening to this podcast. I think so. I think he told him to F off and then subscribed. Yeah. And then he's just like, well, there's got to be something to this. And then he was like, something doesn't sit right with me. I have to go check out this channel now. And then he was just completely blown away by the wit and intelligence in these conversations we're having. And, and yeah. he was like, oh, my God, I, I've got to join the Patreon right now. <laughs> Faceplants writes in and he says, are you willing to bet? Which, again, a reminder, if you're a patron, you can just place bets against some of our opinions to see. if It's really there to clarify if we actually mean it, because I added that section just because I think sometimes I come off. I'm just kind of an optimistic person and I, sometimes I'm just confident even if I'm not sure of something and so if you ask me to bet money then you'll find out quickly if I actually think it's going to happen but he goes are you willing to bet say $20 that we might have three product lineups released from AMD well it's all but silent on the Intel front so Matisse 2 Renoir Vermeer and next gen consoles so that's I guess that's technically one two that's four could all come out before Rocket Lake. Um, uh, yes. I mean, yeah, I mean that's, yes, that's I'm sure. Definitely I would absolutely take that bet. Uh, Matisse 2 is already out. Renoir should come out, I believe, when this podcast goes live, uh, at least on desktop. And if, yeah, which is what he meant. And then Vermeer, which is Zen 3, I'm sure is coming out this year with the next-gen consoles. So yes, I will win that bet, in fact. I'll bet you $100. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's pretty likely. Um, yeah, I don't really have anything else to say to that. If He says, if Cypress Cove isn't shockingly good, we might be bathing in the tears of Intel fanboys for Christmas. Well, I and, and so I don't know, maybe this reader mail, this strikes me as maybe it came out before my, before some recent updates. But I believe Cypress Cove is most likely to come out quarter one. And even if it wasn't going to, I believe my leak said earliest was like December. Because so, I'm actually I'm actually drawing a blank right now. What was Cypress Cove again? Rocket Lake. Oh yeah, yeah. So for those who don't know, um, I my Intel roadmap shows Cypress Cove as the name for the backport of some type of cove that was originally on 10 nanometer. Obviously, predominant. Well, I shouldn't say obviously. The cache looks more like Sunny Cove. Supposedly, predominantly Willow Cove, but it seems kind of like a Willow Cove-Sunny Cove hybrid that has more sacrifices to fit on 14 nanometer, thus inferring that I've also heard it's going to clock just for those who are new, who haven't watched that video yet, I encourage it. Um, I, I think it should clock faster than if it was a straight Willow Cove port, but it might also 
Like they had to remove some cache and features just to fit it on 14 mm-hmm. nanometer. Because moving to 10 nanometer, they used a ton of the new density to get the higher IPC. So I'm kind of assuming you'll have IPC not quite as high as Willow Cove, actually, which is what's in Tiger Lake for everyone who gets confused by these names. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I don't I think there's nothing from Intel this this year. I think I think this is it, what they've well, got. I mean, yeah, it's seeming more and more like Rocket Lake as like quarter one next year, probably. Yeah, um, and it always was. I yeah. just heard I just kept being told that Intel's trying to push it up because they know they need to, but it sounds like it's just not gonna happen. It sounds like Skylake, I'm not I'm sorry, not Skylake. Um Ice Lake X probably won't come out till quarter one as well. We could have Milan, Threadripper, Zen 3 <laughs> chips out before that too. So yeah, I don't know. If they can get 32 cores out on HEDT that can clock okay, I kind of doubt it. But if they can get those out, that might be 32 cores of Ice Lake versus 64 of Zen 3 is probably better than 28 cores of Skylake versus <laughs> 64 of Rome. But I, honestly, it's not going to it's not gonna be good. I mean, I would say it's probably like definitely better than that, but that's still not a great circumstance Intel is in right now. No, the only thing that makes me excited is like at least 32 cores would mean, and, and just so people know, the, the the info I have is that Intel should go to 36 cores for Ice Lake server. I assume they won't bring that to HEDT, though. I assume it'll just be 32 cores. Although it could be 24, to be honest. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Like, I w- I'm just my hope that they can get 32 cores of Ice Lake out early next year. It It would at least stop AMD from insanely gouging the 32 core and below Threadripper models, which is what most people buy anyways. Yeah, and I think, well, actually, I don't know if that is true because I think they said the 32 core of 12 nanometer Threadripper actually was the one of the best selling models, but I assume 24 plus 32 cores sold better. So I don't know. (laughs) Because Dan, if you're going to buy Threadripper, it's someone who's rendering. So you're probably someone willing to buy the best one. Dan made a face at me like, how could that be possible? No, I. I'm basically telling Dan to go fuck himself. No, it was uh, uh, more of an I have no clue. Uh, Do they they don't really publish those numbers. I mean, that actually would surprise me. I mean, from uh, the German Amazon website, that's what they said. Was it Gamers DE? Yeah, that sounds right. Uh, Anyways, let us now get out of these goofy reader mails and get into the corrections. So this is where, again, for new listeners, where people can submit corrections to things we've said. Blokes writes him and he says, in Broken Silicon 56, around the one hour and 22-ish minutes mark, the reason the 4700G could be sold at the same or lower price than the 3800X is likely because Matisse is much more of an XMP warrior than Renoir. If you don't do anything to Renoir, it's likely going to be just like in the laptop versus desktop situation where you have now a bit slower here, a bunch slower and cash heavy tasks there. But if you do things to Renoir, it's probably going to smoke the Matisse lineup. And it looks like they did that. And hey, that means we get to sell them to people that already have Matisse CPUs, who have no idea that it might lack a few features, (laughs) which which is true. I mean, I'm pretty sure they're just going to use an IO die to give it PCIe 4.0. I assume. Right, because remember, yeah. Renoir is PCIe 3.0. I assume that's what they're doing, but it's still probably cheaper to make. Well, actually, I don't know then. It's still, I don't know if it is any cheaper than if they still need to put an I.O. die on there than making like a 3800X, which is still a chiplet plus I.O. Hmm. Um, I mean, yeah, I guess I don't 
I, I don't know either. I would hope that the 4700G will have a PCIe 4.0 because if it doesn't, that, that would be pretty unfortunate for the future uh, 4000 series lineup. Like their lower half just doesn't have PCIe 4.0 then. Well, they would still have the 4600X below it. Oh, that's true, I guess. Or at the same price. I don't know. Yeah. Sounds like it might be OAM only. We'll get to that later in the episode. All right. Let's see here. Carbon Cry writes in, statement from the vegan clubs. That's what he's calling the Vega Club in the Patreon community, by the way. From Die Shrink 23, that was the Vega Die Shrink. In the podcast on the launch of Vega 14 nanometer, Tom has engaged in some dangerous hetero- heter- heterodoxy. Heterodoxy. I don't think I've ever said that word. I've read it before. I don't think I've ever said that word out loud. Uh, that threatens and offends the very principle of the way of the Vega. He states that Vega 14 nanometer was 4096 bit card. Well, I'm going to cut you off right there, Carbon Cry. No, I didn't. I was quoting an old WCCF tech article where I was making fun of them for having big aspirations for how good Vega would be. So already, Carbon Cry, you're on thin ice. But he you wants burnt. us. You burnt. <laughs> He says the vegan club and the high bandwidth apostles have come to the agreement that this action was some form of wanton destruction and act of heresy, uh, but maybe merely a mistake caused by the low bandwidth cash controller in the brain of Tom. Okay, now these are fighting words. Um, This is a high bandwidth cash controller. And I think I'm just going to stop there because this is getting into such a dorky (laughs) argument that I'm going to kill myself if I keep going. (laughs) I do like the um, I do like the joke that people that love Vega are all part of some religion. I mean, sometimes it feels like it. That boy Diesel writes in listening to the Navi 31 podcast and would like to point out that, yes, the Xbox One X allows for 1440p at 120 hertz as one of the supported official resolutions and refresh rates. 4K60 is the top one. And uh I don't know about 4K60 being the top one. I'm pretty sure I read there will be 4K 120 theoretically support. That doesn't mean any game actually will support that. I mean, it's going to have HDMI 2.1. I'm, I think, yeah, I know that. So yeah, I don't know, Fatboy Diesel. I think you need to correct yourself. It's a very combative start of the podcast, Dan. Well, hopefully it'll get a little less combative once we get into the news. Well, let us get into bribery then to make things happier. <laughs> All right, here we are in the stories. Story number one. MSI allegedly attempted to bribe YouTuber to prevent a negative review. And this comes from TechSpot. And I quote, many of us rely on product reviews from trusted independent sources to make informed purchasing decisions. Unfortunately, it seems that some manufacturers or PR people aren't willing to accept negative feedback. Tech YouTuber Tech Team GB tweeted that MSI attempted to pay them so they wouldn't post a negative review of the MSI Bravo 15 laptop. After posting the review, MSI asked him to remove the disappointing video title, but that was also turned down. MSI apparently even asked AMD to try to make him take down the video through legal means, but fortunately, AMD sided with the YouTuber. I mean, that's not good. I mean, that brings into doubt any review you see for MSI, especially from like smaller YouTubers that they think they could get away with this from. I mean, he's not a small YouTuber in the tech tuber space, but. Yeah, I got to agree that. Any MSI review in the past year, I question any good one. I question how legitimate it was. 
Yeah, because I can't remember exactly what he said in the video, but uh, what uh, his issues with it were, but they seemed pretty significant. And AMD acknowledged that, yeah, that's just a problem with this model. Yeah, because, of course, once the cat's out of the bag, you don't want the Barbara Streisand effect of like AMD trying to side with MSI or anything. And it's like, look, AMD sells to a lot of people. And once there's a review out there saying bad things. I'm pretty sure there are a lot of other reviews that said that too of that laptop. Then you just have to, I mean, even just selfishly, AMD, it's in their best interest to do the right thing. I honestly don't know what MSI, I guess my point is, I honestly don't know what MSI was thinking. I don't know. When you try to do this type of damage control, sometimes if a person decides to just say, this is what happened, it's way worse than whatever negative press he would have gotten for his review. Oh, yeah, now it's catastrophic. And you know, it's interesting, though, when I think about it, it's probably someone in marketing who has some metric where they have their job um, performance measured by something and they just needed this to go well. I assume that because, again, I can't figure out why someone would personally go through the effort to snuff this out. Yeah, I know. I agree. (laughs) All right, story number two. The MX450 is confirmed by a Lenovo leak, a cut-down GTX 1650, 64-bit uh, card <laughs> with four gigabytes of memory. I'm not going to quote this. The article I put in is from WCCF Tech. Um, this has been covered by me in multiple videos before. I specifically did one about the MX450 and 350, if you remember, Dan, mm-hmm. where I basically said it's just not going to cut it. Um, do you have anything to add here? Yeah, NVIDIA's not doing a great job with this lower end lineup. There's just not much of a point for these discrete GPUs anymore in like the light of uh Tiger Lake and what's especially what's gonna come in the future with after Tiger Lake. Well, and what's so funny, too, is the and I said and I said this, I could not believe they didn't make a Turing replacement for the MX 250 that because the GT because the die they're going to use for the 450 is just way too big. It's 200 millimeters squared versus 71 millimeters squared of the MX 250. This will not fit in the same laptops. And it just screams cobbling together things quickly because they underestimated, I believe, both Renoir and Tiger Lake and Ice Lake. And Ice Lake. Well, yeah, and the problem with it is Turing doesn't really have a comparable die to what the... I, I can't no, remember what it was, no, 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 right? The, See, because that's what I'm saying, right? 1050 die. The MX250, the MX150 had 384 CUDA cores and a 64-bit interface in the top die. So mm-hmm. they didn't have to cut down anything. It was a tiny, tiny die. And then they could cut it down slightly to get like an MX130 or something. Yeah. And what the... And then they kind of made it work with the 1050, I guess. But then the MX450 is based on the GTX 1650, which is the full version's almost an RX 570. Yeah. In fact, the 16, the mobile-only 1650 Ti with GDDR6 is basically like a 35, 45 watt 570, which is impressive. But let us remember that 45 watts is a lot more than 10, and it has <laughs> 1,024 CUDA cores. If uh, my, what again, what thing I said in the video is, if they would have just made a 64-bit version with 512 CUDA cores, it would have been only a little bigger. It would have been smaller than a 1050 Ti, probably performed better. They could have launched this at the beginning of this year and not need to do any of this ridiculousness. (laughs) And they could have had something that, honestly, again, right, a 64-bit 
something stronger than a 1050 Ti that uses 10, 15 watts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that would be better than Renoir. You know, they could have kept a lot of market share, but I think they're going to get pushed out of a lot of laptops. Um, I mean, yeah, I don't think there's any way around that at this point that uh, Renoir and Intel are both, I mean, uh, AMD and Intel are both t- eating that lower seg- segment of the laptop market at this point. Yeah, and it's it's because... NVIDIA entirely uh, neglected it. I think they just need to rush out a 8 nanometer Ampere uh, MX550 as soon as possible. And again, remember, the 150, I believe, came out in early 2017, I want to say, after Pascal had been out for half a year. Mm-hmm. And then they added the 250 a year later, long after Turing was out. And then now they've added the 350. And in under half a year, the 450 is coming out. So you can tell they. 350 was just invented quickly and then the 450s being probably invented quickly too just whatever they can get out yeah that's it seems like they're just quickly cobbling together faster and faster uh replacements so they can just barely eke out better performance yeah uh the other thing is in this they talk about the lenovo yoga yoga notebook which i actually thought looked awesome i just want to talk about that for a second it had like a 14 inch bezel-less screen. So it's like the size of a MacBook Air, but now it has a full 14-inch screen. And they managed to fit Renoir in a, no, Tiger Lake in a 1650. Oh, no, they only put in Renoir in an MX3, Tiger Lake in an MX350, which doesn't make any sense because we know Tiger Lake's <laughs> as good as an MX350. In fact, might even beat it in some games. Um, that makes absolutely no sense to me, actually. But what I do hope is they get to like an eight-core Tiger Lake and like some kind of Ampere replacement to the 1650 Ti or something. You know, I, I think the form factor of this Yoga Slim looks pretty sick. Yeah, Lenovo's generally pretty good at their design, I would say. I'm always surprised how much I can talk about NVIDIA MX cards. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, let us move on. So story number three actually comes from, well, us. <laughs> you know, I was going to be the RTX 3060 but I'm just throwing in there my newest video um, about my updated information regarding 8 nanometer Ampere. That was that big, I called it the Ampere arrogance leak, where basically it sounds like NVIDIA was really to the last minute testing 7 nanometer Ampere cards, mostly hoping to get capacity. And it just became clear probably about a month ago that that's not going to happen. And now they're just going full steam ahead and launching eight nanometer Samsung cards as soon as they can. Let me be clear. I think they've tapped out both eight nanometer and seven nanometer cards months ago and that yeah. they were just prepping all the drivers and getting everything ready. That that That's why they can switch so quickly. I think they had the designs done for both. Like, like to give another example, actually, for AMD, that recent Navi, I forgot what it was called, Navi 14 or something. That was the HBM basically version of a, 5700 XT that uses less energy and is in the new MacBook Pro. Yeah, MacBook Pros. Like that was something AMD had driver leaks for two years ago. So they had probably the design done and the masks done, ready to go whenever they wanted to make it. They just didn't make it until now. So I think that's what's been going on with NVIDIA, bidding TSMC against Samsung. And now they just have to go a full full throttle with Samsung. (laughs) And uh, that means, you know, 20% more power usage and 20% 20% less performance than my upper estimates, which is unfortunate. I mean, yeah, it's very unfortunate. And it's like, 
Yeah, based on conversations you and I had while you were making that video, it, it just became more and more evident that, yeah, that that a, a switch had to have been made at some point where they lost the possibility of seven nanometer on the higher end chips. So, I mean, we'll see how much slower it ends up being or how much more power will it it will end up using probably a bit of both, but I mean, you know, all leaks point to like 350 watts. I did actually speak to Row Game about this um, and direct messages about a couple of things. And yeah, our info lines up. I mean, I think, you know, I reported 40% better rasterization performance than a 2080 Ti. I think that's NVIDIA struggling to get there with one of the top dies too. So mm. that's, I, I, although I'm sure there will be games where it's above 40, I would just put it at like 35 to 50% higher performance. But again, everything I talked about in the architecture is still, you know, there, like they're supposedly still going to have crazy better ray tracing performance, you know? And so I think it'll be a decent car. DLSS 3.0 looks really impressive. Um, but there's room there now, I think for AMD to possibly win. And I know a lot of people don't agree with me on that. I've talked to another a couple other people offline too, other tech tubers and stuff, how their information doesn't look like this, but I don't know, right? I, I say this in the video that, hey, Tom jumping in here for a last minute update, literally minutes before posting this to the Patreon before prepping it for the hitchhiker feeds. So Gamers Nexus says they can, and they sound confident. I do trust Steve at Gamers Nexus. He says he's completely sure that NVIDIA is moving forward with a 12-pin adapter on Ampere. So at the very least, what I would say is this much. Um, I mean, at least NVIDIA is planning to do it. If you see Ampere cards without a 12-pin, which let's be clear about this too, I, I think AIBs are going to use two to three eight pins most of the time anyways, honestly. But I think for at least OEMs in the initial launch, NVIDIA's plan is to use a 12-pin. And they can give you an adapter, and I think OEMs just won't care Although Steve says that a lot of the power supply manufacturers are scrambling because of this. So I don't know. Maybe they do care. But just thought you guys should know there's been a lot of interesting takes on the information out there, especially with what I just reported. And at the very least, there it is again. You know, to those that say other people already reported on the 12-pin connector, I would say, yeah, they did except everyone said it was probably false besides, I believe, Igor and someone else. So that was not an easy hot take from me to say the 12-pin might be real. And it seems like it is real. And before I get back to the initial recording where me and Dan talk about, you know, Big Navi stuff, I just want to say, I know there's some chip hell, quote-unquote, leak, but it's literally just a guy in a forum saying nothing's true. Guys, I don't consider that a leak. I consider that someone opened their mouth and nothing came out, right? Unless you give details, unless you put your ass on the line and say, hey, NV cache, hey, 12-pin connector, hey, this is the performance I expect, I don't consider that as anything. The only thing that was specified is it sounds like RDNA 2 is coming out after Ampere and Ampere is coming in September, and that's stuff I said. So frankly, if anything, that chip hell leak just adds to my info, like supports it, and I would also add that what I reported about Big Navi is, for the most part, what NVIDIA expects it to be. So, know that. NVIDIA expects Big Navi to be close to their top cards, or at least closer than before. And I also said this in the video, AMD thinks they won't win. So, 
What I'm saying is information's still mixed. Still mixed on Big Navi. All right, back to the show. Well, I'm definitely more sure of my Ampere info than my RDNA2 info. I mean, one of my sources for how strong RDNA2 is going to be comes from within NVIDIA that they are can like they have like newsletters going out that they expect AMD to be about the same performance level as their top eight nanometer cards. So the only thing I'll say is maybe NVIDIA is overestimating AMD. But I just again, you know, I, I could be wrong, but the, I'm sorry, like when I look at Every rumor for top RDNA 2, I was thinking about this today, how could it not at least be like 70% better than a 5700 XT and therefore at least roughly match Ampere? I just don't, how, right? Like, unless like unless you're telling me for some reason AMD's top card is 56 compute units, like basically the Xbox <laughs> Series X just has the top RDNA 2 card. Why would AMD do that? Why would they not make a bigger one? That doesn't make any sense to me. And then it like for some reason. So yeah, for it to I just want to be clear about that on my opinion here. I mean, in Digital Foundry's tests, I mean it scales with performance to compute units pretty well. RDNA one does. All rumors point to them fixing it with RDNA two. So so like the only way, right? The the twenty eighty Ti is like forty percent better than a fifty seven hundred XT. Fifty six compute units is 50 is almost 50% more compute units than a 5700 XT. So basically the only way it doesn't and then and then what is it going to clock lower than a ES5? I I just find that maybe there's rumors well, that, you know, the worst I can come up with is that it would still and then what no IPC increase? The worst scenario I can come up with is that it's 20%, 30% better than a 2080 Ti, and therefore, again, very close to Ampere. I, I don't know. I just don't know how. And if it goes to 64 compute units and clocks above 2.2 gigahertz, I think it's a done deal. I think they match or could beat Ampere. And most things we've seen are 72 or 80 compute units. So I think I think AMD has a shot of winning. I don't know, though. The One of the AMD sources, or should I say someone connected to AMD, said that AMD, for some reason, still thinks they'll only beat the 3080. So take well, yeah. that for what you will. But that same source said it's going to be double 5700 XT performance. So that, <laughs> that was weird to me. And, and I, I don't know. It's if the 40 compute unit scaling wall that they were at wasn't met. One, I don't think Microsoft would have bought the thing that they did. Right. Two, AMD wouldn't be releasing a probably what 72 or 80 compute unit card next gen. So, yeah, I, I, I don't see how it would be at all outlandish that they double the 5700 XT. And look at the 5700 XT's naming. It's branded as a mid-range card, and they're now saying yes. they're making high-end cards again, but they didn't for one generation make high-end cards because they didn't have the money or time think or it resources was to. Yeah. And remember, there was a and, and that was a tactical decision, same as Polaris. They had designs. I, I know for a fact they had designs for an RX 490. That would have basically just been a 384-bit 480 with, I think, the same amount of stream processors as a 290X. So I think that's like, I think it would have gone up to 2816, right? And that's, in fact, what's in the Xbox One X. That's that's what one source suggested is it's like, seriously, Microsoft was just like, put that in the, uh, (laughs) right? It was a custom (laughs) APU, right? Yeah. So, but... And AMD just decided not to release that. And I think they were going to go up to at least 60 compute units with 
RDNA 1, but that they just hit this massive power usage wall. And I mean, look, 225, that they could hit the clocks they wanted, but power usage was higher than expected. So they just like, so if you have a 225 watt, you know, 40 compute unit card, and it's an exponential curve, that suggests that a 56 even compute unit model on RDNA 1 may have used, I mean, may, may have used like 350 watts and clocked lower. So yeah, I can see how they wouldn't have made that. It may have just been, that is actually what one of Dord Leak suggested too, directly, is that it may have just been 20% better or like 30% <laughs> better and used 50% more energy. And at that point, you basically got something that narrowly beats a 2080 while using more energy on a newer node. And it just would have looked stupid. I think that's what AMD decided. And what's the point yeah. when they can make two, right? When they can make like three 5700 XTs for every two of those, I guess we'll call them 5800 XTs they can make. You know, I know some tech tubers do listen to this and the ones that disagree with me, it's like, well, I'm pretty sure I'm IAM peer info at this point. <laughs> like I really, I am. But I will say that the AMD info is still shakier. I'm still not 100% sure that it's 72 compute units, although I have two sources that say it at least now. Um, but that I, if it was even just, again, the only way I can see it losing or not beating the 2080 Ti by a decent margin is if you have no IPC increase, only 56 compute units, and it can't clock higher than a PS5. And I'm like, hey, Vega was a letdown, you know? So I, that's, but I, that means worst case scenario, I think you're looking at beating the 2080 Ti by 20% or so. Worst case. Yeah. And that places it at least around a 3080. And I don't, I don't see why they would only make something with the die size that small. I just don't see why they would do that. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, because it looks like they really have a chance to take the crown. So like, why? Um, yeah, and I do get the feeling that because they knew they AMD, wouldn't take the crown, right? With the 5700 XT, and it would look inefficient, and that's why they didn't launch it. But now they have a, yeah. even the even just having a shot, even if they could just match the 3080 Ti and make like a $750 card that matches in you know Nvidia's $1200 card, they would look so great. They would sell those like hot cakes, something that beats a Titan RTX in performance for like $750. Like, there's your 4K 120 hertz gaming card. Yeah, and at some point, AMD, because, I mean, for their the entire time I've been in the market, AMD has always had this perception that they're the more bargain bin brand. And at some point, they at need to lately, try, yeah. try to move away from that reputation, especially with graphics cards, because their CPUs aren't like that, don't have that perception anymore. And their graphics cards, frankly, still do. I mean, they don't make bad cards for the price, but they... It's a what they offer is weaker than what uh, Nvidia offers. Well, and let's be honest too. This is such the perfect holiday shopping season to take the crown. Intel has nothing. AMD is not the value brand anymore. They are the bet. They could even take the gaming crown with Zen Three, and I think they will, and even hold it against Rocket Lake that comes out later. AMD <laughs> could have free reign in the gaming market for almost a year at least until Alder Lake, and who knows if that will even catch up, right? And so if they can do that, this is a holiday shopping season where AMD is perceived as the top gaming brand because of their CPUs. So taking the gaming crown would just make their image go to 
all new levels of mind share. Like, why would they yeah. not go for it? And again, are you really telling me they can't make a 72 compute unit card? That's not even close to the reticle limit of TSMC. And if it gets there, are you really telling me it's not? I, I don't know. Well, even if they, they use 400 watts, why would they not try to take the crown? And they've pretty much said at this point that they're going to be releasing that. So, yeah. And, and uh, I mean, I agree. They called it Navi 2X. But I just want to say that because I know there are some people that disagree with me on this. And I'm less confident in my RDNA 2 info than I am my Ampere info. But, and I said this to, you know, a tech trooper that I consider almost like kind of a friend at this point, that it's just like, this is my info. And if someone else has different info, they should write their own report. And we will look at both reports and see what happens. And if I'm wrong, it's fine. I, I honestly don't care. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I do care because I want it to be powerful. <laughs> but my channel is about discussing the rumors that are out there. And when I have sources I consider reliable saying the same thing, I'm running with that story, even if it sounds crazy. Yeah. All right. D.H. Tickna writes in and says, does it really matter if the RTX 3000 series ray tracing is orders of magnitudes better if the games that fully take advantage of it will only be able to target a small fraction of the gaming player base? It seems like features that actually need the RT performance would be things like total path tracing or RT global illumination, which can't really be turned off unless you had a whole another rendering pipeline for non-RTX 3000 series cards. I would say, first of all, if Ampere's ray tracing performance is actually as good as I've reported it to be, that is, what I've heard is Minecraft, One, I did get one benchmark, Minecraft ray tracing on the uh, apparently 7 nanometer version of Ampere, I guess to be fair, uh, was getting like f- almost five times the frame rates as a Titan RTX, <laughs> like in ray tracing. And that's good enough for full ray tracing in some games. I think you might see NVIDIA push and finance some indie games that are fully ray traced. So first of all, I think they'll do that. Now, I don't think most games are going to be fully ray traced by any stretch of the imagination. But you say if the player base isn't there, we'll get to this later. Sony's making 10 million PS5s this year, all ray tracing. I assume there will be at least 5 million Xboxes made. That's 15 million user base right there. Plus Ampere and RDNA 2 launching. I think the player base for ray tracing is going to actually be there sooner than people think. Yeah, and it's not like, uh, I mean, no games that are out now really have global illumination or complete ray tracing. It is a hybrid between ray tracing and rasterized lighting, I think. Like, yeah, we're not going to have global ray tracing for a while like that means that not in i again i bet there are a couple indie games that do it there yeah yeah there might be but i'm saying i don't think battlefield i don't know seven is going to be Battlefield seven what if that was in four years yeah yeah i mean i guess there could be an option but the need for uh rasterized lighting is still going to be there for i think five to at least ten years i would say i mean i think it, it might not be actually Oh, okay. I, I actually, I, I think it's not going to be like here in two years where they just get rid of it. But five years? I don't know. Five? Why the heck not? And, and uh, note this, Dan, it's just the lighting. It's not like the game won't run. So, like, I could see it. And, and the way AMD seems to be handling ray tracing, which I actually didn't put this in my video just so you guys know, it is still, I got another update from a source. It seems to be as frankly, what everyone's been saying. So this really isn't news, but it's another person saying it's per compute unit that they've just built functions into each, I guess you might say dual compute unit in RDNA 2 
to handle it at the compute unit level. I think that infers that Vega and RDNA 1 may handle some ray tracing just at like one-fourth the performance naturally to how AMD's handling it with maybe less than one-fourth, who knows, right? (laughs) But in other words, what I'm saying is if that's true, I mean, Dan, you can just turn ultra-low version of lighting in games in five years and it'll still run all the way down to, well, I don't know, if it ran on Vega, who knows how much far back it would go. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I guess that might be true. Um, Remember, in five years, Vega will be eight years old. Yeah, I know. I'm just saying. I, do we really care that Fermi has DirectX 12 support? I mean, some people probably do, but it's almost surprising. There, and it doesn't work a, that well. So change comes. And I don't think I just it's one of those things where I say, is that an excuse? My eight year old car can't run this game. Correct. No, I'm just saying I don't buy know. Four, if, buy them buy a three hundred dollar console. I mean, I'm just saying, I don't know if in five years there will be a battlefield. I, I, I don't know if there will be a that's card fully ray traced. That, yeah, that's a card strong enough to be able to handle full ray tracing. That's all I I'm think saying. there will be. Okay. I mean, I I'll hope bet there is. you $20. I mean, I'm not betting either way. I'm not super confident. Damn it. Way. We could have logged that. We could we have written down that it. bet and done updates <laughs> on a bet. All right. Uh, and Keith writes in and says, what are the chances that DLSS 3.0 doesn't come to the RTX 2000 series? Mm. Knowing NVIDIA, highly likely. <laughs> also, what are the chances that DirectML or whatever AMD's response to DLSS 3.0 will be will come to the Radeon 5000 series? Uh, knowing AMD, highly likely. <laughs> yeah, but it probably wouldn't run as well as the 6000 series. And I've, you know, I've seen a lot of people say this in the comments. Well, you know, if... Uh, AMD wants to compete. They're going to need some version of DLSS and they're not going to have that. And I'm like, first of all, they do need that. You're right. Uh, But I think they will. You know, I think they will have some form of DLSS 3.0 because this isn't magic. They have engineers, they have programmers and they want to win. So I think they will have it. The question is if it will work as well, right? That's more. And again, I would take a DLSS that works in literally every game ever and just gives you a solid 10, 15, 20% boost in frame rates without any drop in quality, then NVIDIA's approach, which seems to be so far a handful of games, or supposedly in the future, based on my info, games that have TAA, which I want to point this out. Everyone keeps pointing out how impressive, you know, DLSS looks in Death Stranding, and it is. But TAA makes things look fuzzy, guys. It's like, why do you think it works so well in TAA games? Yeah, that's true. Like, what's your point? You know, like try turning off TAA and just running it at a high resolution. Now, don't get me wrong. Again, it is impressive in Death Stranding. It is better than otherwise. It really is. I want to be clear that NVIDIA is starting to actually impress me with DLSS, but I just don't overlook the uh, extra wrinkles around why it might be working or why they might push it super hard in the future. Of course, every game is going to use TAA moving forward. I think it actually is a decent trade-off and I know it's a slightly fuzzy look. Some call it a console look to PC <laughs> games. But at the same time, there's like almost no performance. Hit. I do actually think it looks better than just having wires that shimmer. Yeah, I'm willing to take some performance, trade some performance to get like, I mean, in Death Stranding DLSS, it's like <laughs> double the frame rates, uh, basically. Yeah, didn't you tell me there was a 2060 running Death Stranding at 4K60 with DLSS? 4K 60 to 70 DLSS max settings, yeah. And DLSS was the high quality DLSS? 
Um, yes, I believe so. But so that because there are multiple settings in that game, apparently. Yeah, there was. There are two forms of DLSS. One is for quality, and one is for performance. But that so there you go. Twenty sixty four K sixty gaming in that game. Well, that game isn't. I don't believe that hard to run. I mean, on PS4 Pro, that looked really, really good. Remember, there's like no enemies in the background or moving objects. It's just static environments. And that's why that game, frankly, looked almost photorealistic to me. It just didn't have that much to do versus other games. So they could make it look really, really good. (laughs) I will say that. Try that game, guys. It's one of me and Dan's favorite games from the past few years. And I I know you'll look at uh, gameplay online and say that doesn't. Now, you it sounds stupid. You got to try it. You got to actually give it a fair chance and play it because watching it online just isn't going to convey the feeling you get when you like actually start carrying a hundred pizza boxes on your back and get across a mountain <laughs> range. Well, ghosts, tr- time ghosts, shall we call them? Try to kill you. I mean, I definitely recommend it. And most people I know who, that I know have played it seem to like it. So yeah, even people that I thought wouldn't like it. Yeah. Jory writes in and he says, are you expecting any exotic memory technologies for the upcoming RDNA 2 cards? Are there any specific points you're hoping for them to focus on, such as raw bandwidth or raw megahertz, or is a hybrid GDR6 HBM2 approach even possible? Well, it is possible. And that's something I've talked about with Cortex before, I think, and not an Apple fan. Like, yeah, it's po- yes, it is possible. I mean, for, if you think of it this way, uh, I mean, heck, the PS5 is going to use all the memory. NV Cache supposedly will. High bandwidth cache already uses some of your DDR as VRAM. So you can have two VRAM controllers. You can. And so it is possible. And one of my early, early RDNA rumors were that they were considering going with one of the top cards, which would have a 256-bit bus and then a 2040, I think a 3090, a 3072-bit HBM2E bus. And that that would be the very top cards might have both. The slightly cut down ones would just have HBM and the highly cut down ones would just have GDR6 to save money mm-hmm. on the ones they need to cut down. Being said that, I don't know if that really makes sense anymore with how good TSMC's yields are. I don't know if they need a plan <laughs> for cutting down anything, you know, which makes me wonder if they're still going to do that. But I have heard that and I have seen references to 3D packaging, even with RDNA 2. I am not saying it will. But yeah. I am saying there's evidence they might have some kind of interesting cash system at the very least. Um, yeah. I mean, that would be interesting to see if there's like a small HBM uh, to like cash as the first, I don't know, tier of memory on the on a graphics cards. But I don't know, given how close that's we a are, lot of cost, though. Yeah. And given how close we are to RDNA 2's launch, I th- feel like we would have heard stronger rumors about this. I'm getting now. Stan. I'm getting info from NVIDIA. I about it. I don't know why it's such a black box, except that I have to assume it means AMD knows they've got a winner. And that you see more leaks out of Intel right now than ever before. And it's because people don't care if you know what they're working on. <laughs> I think I, that's my opinion. And I think the reason AMD is so quiet is either A, they have literally nothing to show, which doesn't make any sense because the specs we see for the Xbox Series X and PS5 are incredibly impressive. So they clearly have something. And I just think they know they they have a winner. That that's what I'm thinking, and that they're just sectioning off design teams, which like that I know Nvidia does from what one source told me how they operate it. No one knows exactly how anything works there, mm-hmm. 
Like you'll have one person testing one card, another person writing the drivers for one card, another person designing the memory system for one, but has no idea what's in this part of the die. They're doing that on purpose. So only the very top people who will never leak anything uh, know the exact performance numbers. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what's going on. And that's a way that to tighten up your company, uh, like to make it less leaky. I don't know how AMD has done it. Part of it probably is just higher morale, but I'm assuming well, they've done the, something to I, I, the, I, the, the guy in the last episode, um, Anthony from Tweaktown, said that, I mean, if you think about it, they like fired their entire marketing team. And it seemed like most of the leaks from the previous years were just from that marketing team. Hmm. Oh, that's interesting. So they had a new marketing head and they replaced and moved around a lot of people. So like, and this was something that a lot of people have said. And something Cortex told me once too, that AMD's like mad about the leaks. Yeah. Like that people under NDA have told us that, no, this is really an initiative at AMD moving forward. <laughs> so <laughs> it seems to be working, though. QH Freddy writes him and he says the current indications seem to be that Intel will not be competing beyond the very low end with discrete graphics until at least 2022 or 2023. Yep, that's my info suggests. Uh, by the way, guys, I do have a Z video with a script basically done. Will I ever get to it before another bombshell comes out? from other sources that I need to get out first. Who knows? <laughs> I think I'll hopefully have that Z video done. Hmm. Honestly, beginning of August, if I had to guess now, but it's just not a rush because so many people seem to not care about Intel leaks. I wonder why. <laughs> Any Anything from AMD or NVIDIA, I'm like, or, or Sony or Microsoft even, going with this way first. But he goes, I'd like to see if see the stuff they have deeper in the development pipeline and get an idea of the general discussions they will take on their designs and how those compare with what NVIDIA, AMD, and other vendors are doing. I mean, look, Intel's got impressive low power cards. I think they're going to fix their fabric, which is what's holding back their um, planned multi-tile, almost a Zen approach to a graphics card architecture that should still come out, I believe, late next year, just in only a couple tiles and not that great. And then I think 2022 end of year, they might finally have like a four tile or higher monster. I mean, yeah. And right now things in the near future are all pretty much single tile. They're all single tile, right? That we actually know are going to exist. Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, they might have some professional cards that are multi-tile, which okay. I mean, each tile seems to be about as strong as, as far as, well, I mean, and I've covered this guys, you can look up my tile GPU leak where I did, yeah. I, I discussed how they had got card already in the lab. I want to say by now half half a year ago that was beating the 2080 Ti, but it used 500 watts. Yeah, and you just can't release that. And it was a disaster in their opinion. But then if you went from like four tiles to two, you got half the performance and now it used 150 watts or 170 watts. And it's like, and then if you go to one tile, we're down to like 35 watts. It's like exponentially increased power usage per tile. (laughs) Now, the caveat was that it did actually double performance, or or should I say linearly increased performance, as much as you would expect by adding a tile, like how Zen does. It actually just did. It just added, you have two tiles, double what one tile. Four tiles, double what that is. They had they had prototypes with eight tiles. They used like a thousand watts. Uh, but they actually scaled to absurd amounts of performance. They just didn't think they could put it in desktops uh, without breaking power supplies. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, two tiles at 150 watts, that's that they could release that. Yeah, they could, you know, and the problem is it just needs to be Gen 12.5, which I believe is what's going to be in like DG2 or Mm 3 late 
you know, in like a year and a half, because the current one will be obsolete. Because, you know, that's the problem, though, Dan, is by the time this gets out late next year, so what, it's it'll be, be low Hopper and yeah. Hardy and A3. <laughs> so that's the problem is I think it's like, I think it's like 20, late 2022, and you can expect Intel to compete. But it's, in, it's, it's exciting because I'm just telling you guys, the potential is there. And yeah. to me, that's a big deal that people need to get that. Well, the potential is there and it will happen eventually. It should, you know, but just remember, they failed before with the graphics series. Yeah, remember, that's true. They launched that, what was it, i7740, I think in the late 90s, early 2000s, and that didn't go anywhere. <laughs> but I, I think they're going to commit to it this time. Anyways, story number four. Next-gen Intel Core i7 CPUs might have eight cores and 12 threads. Now, I actually covered this in a YouTube video a week ago, uh, which did pretty well. And it was going over this leak and how, how you might assume it's a typo that the Rocket Lake i7 is, again, so eight cores, 12 threads. That would mean half of the cores don't have hyper-threading enabled. That you have to remember, Comet Lake added this ability. Right now on Comet Lake, you can disable hyper-threading on one core if you want to, if you think it'll boost higher and that's your best core gaming mm-hmm. and that since they're limited to eight cores for the top i9 and power usage is up per core it kind of makes sense in my opinion they would do this and again so if we know the top i9 is going to be eight cores and 16 threads which again i think they should just call it an i7 and stop pretending it's an i9 well i mean come on because the i9 might lose to amd's yeah that's well. the thing i'm looking at the this eight core tw- eight core 12 thread thing almost sounds like a evolution of the, of the i5 to me but Right, uh, but so, I mean, it has the same amount of threads, 6-core, 12-thread, i5. But so, I mean, think about it. Like, we know they're going to want to call at least the top one an i9. Yeah. So if the i9 is 8-cores, 16-threads. If the i5 is 6-cores, 12-threads, which it should be to compete with, you know, mid-range 6-cores, Zen 3, then what's the i7? And when I saw this, I was like, I actually never thought about it. This makes complete sense. Although I wouldn't rule out it just being eight cores, 16 threads, and the i7 is just clocked lower. Like maybe they just give up. Yeah, like, that, they because could they do need that. to. But that, that, but they haven't done that for a while. And that, that would surprise me if they, I, I don't know. I think this does make a lot of sense. Um, I think, I want to be clear. I give it 50 50. I think it really could be a typo. But I think a lot of people are completely missing the point of like, well, then it's, there's no point in the i9. <laughs> And also missing the point that like missing that this is completely possible and not at all like exactly. outlandish. No, and it's like this is something they're working on now with scheduling and with Lakefield. And that it seems in newer updates from what I've seen, it actually is improving already, people, that it is using the one Sunny Cove core and the Atom cores in the background um, for the background tasks. And yeah, again, like the most heavily threaded apps for the main core. And so this is basically just programming it like how they're going to program Alder Lake. This could just give them more practice. Like, so this is something they are kind of, because basically it'd be like big, big cores, right? Yeah. The unhyper-threaded ones use less voltage because they don't have to do, you know, they don't have to use hyper-threading. So yeah, it's kind of like four big cores and eight little ones, except it's four cores with hyper-threading. Yeah. All right, story number five. The Core i9-10850K could cost $450, but we don't even know if you can buy it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, this was the eight core, no, I'm sorry, 10 core, six, uh, 20 thread i9 that is weaker than the top 10900K. 
I assume this was their excuse to sell the same CPU for like 350 or 400 to compete with the 3900X. Mm-hmm. Doesn't seem like it. And it seems like it might even be OEM only. So again, I just, and I said this in the last news roundup we did, I don't know what Intel's doing. Well, and why I'll, even release this then? If you're going to charge only $50 less, why? I don't know because they're, I don't know what they're releasing. Their product stack is getting so confusing at this point. Because also, if you look at this, so this is billed as an i9-10850K. So that means it is a higher in the product stack than several 10900 CPUs, which just seems You're right, really weird right, to me. non-Ks. Right, so I think I said that to you while we were gaming one. So like, then wait, what's the, what's the 10900 non-K? What the hell is that now? Uh, a piece of crap, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> well, that's what all of Comet Lake is. Yeah, uh, but explain why it's OEM only. Again, it might be an excuse to sell it for crazy cheap to gaming OEMs. It's safe to say I'm not a morning person. Most days I try to sleep in as much as possible. Still. Sometimes I just need to get up early, whether for a conference call or just simply to get a video done on time. When I do this, great coffee definitely helps, especially when it doesn't skimp on the caffeine and it actually is priced reasonably, like it is at thehenma.com, where you can choose between delicious flavors like Highlander Grog and Chocolate Raspberry. And you know what? Unlike most artisanal coffee I've tried, it actually wakes you up, and it tastes great. The H-E-N-D-M-A dot com. Use offer code MOORSLAW, that's M-O-O-R-E-S-L-A-W, to get 10% off right now your coffee orders. And do make sure you use these guys if you need coffee, because coffee is their passion. And right now, this is a side hustle they're trying to grow into a bigger business out of Norman, Oklahoma. They could use your help if you could use a good cup of coffee. For my new benchmarking station, I did use a legitimate key of Windows 10 Professional, and that's because it's just not expensive if you go to CDK Offers. They did sponsor me to say this, but I used their website, and it works well. They have great customer support, and if you use offer code BROKENSILICON, you'll get 25% off Windows software, and Dyshrink gets you 3% off all software on the website, including game codes. I will reiterate, it was really easy for me to actually set up an account on this website, search for Windows, buy the code using whatever payment method I wanted, and they do have several options, and then I simply got sent the authentic key and downloaded Windows 10 from Microsoft's website. Save yourself some money to get more bones for your dog, and don't stress yourself out using illegitimate keys. These are real keys, and they did sponsor this part of the video. So one more time, that's cdkoffers.com. Use Dyshring for 3% off all software on the website, including Steam games, and Broken Silicon for 25% off software. All right, now let's get to the benchmark. Yeah, that could be true. And I guess that's true. Knowing this might be an OEM only product kind of more justifies its existence than uh, what we initially thought, which I don't know. It's just a weird, weird CPU. Yeah, it kind of makes it make more sense if that's what it is, much like another possibly 
only OEM <laughs> CPU. God, I freaking nailed that segue. Story number six, AMD Ryzen 7 4700 GPU overclocked to 4.8 gigahertz across all eight cores, but maybe OEM only? So this is kind of a news roundup of all of the recent Renoir leaks, uh, desktop Renoir uh, leaks. And yeah, there's a, a lot of leaks of people on non, like not on LN2 cooling. Like plenty of people are just with like even air coolers or liquid coolers are saying they're getting 4.6, 4.7 gigahertz all cores. Some saying 4.8. And I mean, yeah, with the low latency, I mean, we saw with mobile Renoir clocked at the same clock speeds as like, of 2700x it would like beat it like and that it was basically almost the same ipc if not maybe even higher in gaming than like a 3700x so if this can hit higher clocks than a 3800x when overclocked uh and again like we said earlier assuming it has pcie 4.0 now we see why the rumors of a 300 apu <laughs> that isn't zen 3 in the 4000 series makes sense that yeah. there might just not be a 4700X with Zen 3. They might just make it a 4800X and say, hey, you want eight cores of Zen 3? Pay up, buddy. Get the $400 <laughs> one because our 4700G is better than the 3800X anyways. And now it's 300 bucks and comes with a built-in graphics card. Yeah, and 4.8 gigahertz. That's really, really good. They're getting all, yeah, 4.8 to all cores, right? Yeah, I, mm-hmm. there will be some esports gamers, I think, that hunt these things down either way. What, do you, what did, did you Google around it all? I mean, I have one article saying this. It seems like it might be OEM only. At least that's what Video Card says, that they have information that AMD is only going to announce it for OEMs at first, at the very least. Hmm. No, I wasn't able to look into that too much. Uh, that would be a little sad. I, I want to see people able to just buy the 4700G because it looks like a really interesting CPU. To be honest, I assume it's still going to come to, well, I mean, either way it will. Um, I I think they will release it to do it yourself. It's just they're giving it to OEMs first is my guess. Yeah. So like the first run of them might be OEM only. Which makes sense. I mean, look, guys, it's almost August. Zen 3 should come out. I don't know, September, October, maybe November, the latest. And if that's true, I expect they don't see a point in bringing 4,000 series CPUs to desktop until it's close to the Zen 3 launch anyways. Mm -hmm. Hey, Tom, jumping in here at last minute. I don't actually think I needed to add an interstitial, but I'm going to just to be, I don't know, for completionist's sake. Yeah, it is OEM only, just to be clear. And not only is it OEM only, they seem to show no indication that these are coming to, I don't know, the do-it-yourself market immediately. Although the reason I did decide to put in an interstitial is the news that AMD said eventually Zen 2 APUs will come to the consumer market, specifically 500 series motherboards. And there's a link from Anantech that talks about this. That's kind of interesting how they specifically said these Renoir chips are 400 and 500 series compatible but then said that Zen 2 APUs will also be coming to the consumer market on 500 series. So I don't know if they're going to try that only X570 thing again, uh, but that's the news out there. So uh, again, though, right, as, as we'll say, th- you'll be able to get these piecemeal. There will be distributors that sell them, and I'm sure we will get reviews of these chips long before it's officially in do-it-yourself. All right, back to the show. And so I think that's what's going on. And either way, like, remember, there's the, the 3500X which is the six-core, six-thread Zen 2 CPU. 
You can get that on Newegg for, I believe, 150 sometimes. It's often sold out, but there will be distributors that just buy these up in bulk and then sell them on Newegg for probably okay-ish prices anyways. Yeah, that's true, actually. But it would probably add about 20 bucks to it if AMD never officially released it to do it yourself. Yeah, and depending on what they release around that, that might make make or break the viability of purchasing this. Yeah. Lazy writes in and he says, I was re-watching a Cortex video from 2019 about how APUs will eventually replace all but the highest end GPUs, which I think that might happen eventually too. Something me and him discussed in a podcast. Look out for that, Lazy. Uh, that made me think of some of your earlier videos earlier this year about how we could be moving towards GPUs with tens of gigabytes of memory, maybe even SSDs on the graphics card itself as well. If something like this were to become a requirement, could that prevent APUs from clawing their way up into the mid-range? It's something worth discussing, or could it be overcome with a ton of fast DDR5 and a high-end SSD? Uh, well, it, so yeah, and he goes on to like ask about on-package memory. So look, the only way these APUs are taking over the mid-range is with on package memory. And let us remember that the Xbox Series X APU is 360 millimeters squared. And I guess it doesn't have any on-package memory. But as far as I'm aware, although I've heard rumors actually, but I think we have die shots, so we know it probably doesn't. doesn't yeah. Yeah. We still haven't seen the PS5 die shot. I've heard some pretty wild things about that. Um, <laughs> but like anyways though, so like that's a little too big to fit on AM4. But like again, think about a five nanometer die shrink of that. I think you have room to put HBM on there and put it on AM4. I do. Um, and I think then there, there we are. And there's your mid-range card, you know? So I think it's quite possible. I think a big problem with APUs getting into mid-range performance is just, again, like something I talked about with um, Tim from Hardware Unboxing in an episode, how if these consoles are really having the equivalent of like, you know, I think they said it was something like four cores or five cores or something of Zen 2, to handle all the I.O., that's going to yeah, be a big yeah. problem for some APUs to keep up with next-gen games. I think there may be a temporary setback in APUs. I think what you're going to see is Renoir blow everyone away, maybe even Van Gogh, which could be a version of the Xbox Series S, by the way, come out and be really great. And then mid-next year, it's going to be like, oh, yeah, we forgot we need all of these I.O. controllers to make these <laughs> APUs run modern games eventually. And unless you have a bunch of cores, you know, at least in laptops. On desktop, eh, I don't know. They're, yeah. they're, you can run it at 4.8 gigahertz. You're clocking the thing almost 50% faster than the PS5 anyway, so. Yeah, because it might so happen, depending on how all of the, the market evolves due to the new consoles. Like, oh, yeah, for an APU to work, it would need to be like a 24-core APU, and that's... Uh, that would be a weird evolution to happen. For That's at least over the a next few couple months years. away. That's at least a month away, yes. That's at least one month away from 24 core APUs, I think. <laughs> Although I have heard AMD's working on some interesting, that they legitimately are working on a server APU and then also a beefed up version, which is a video I'll probably do this week. Maybe it'll come out uh, right after this podcast, actually. But there's evidence they're making some type of almost like a mobile professional server chip. Not really full server, but like mm -hmm. more compute units in. I don't know. Better I.O. Maybe more, maybe that Mega Renoir I've been uh, hinting seems to exist out there. Mm. Story number seven. Xbox One X and Xbox One Sad Edition, that's the digital edition, will no longer be manufactured. But Microsoft will continue to make the Xbox One S. For people listening, why I'm sounding confused. They're discontinuing the Xbox 
One X, the one that yeah. actually can handle games at decent resolution still, and has, by the way, five percent higher IPC than the PS4 CPU and higher clock speeds. I think it's two point three gigahertz. They're discontinuing that one, but then they're going to keep making the One S disc version. So, uh, Dan, what do you think? So I think this definitely says that the rumors that the Xbox Series S is a thing are, I think that's pretty much 100%. The weaker version of the next gen Xbox. Yes. Yeah. I should have included that. I think that that 100% almost confirms. I don't know if I agree with that statement, though. What what makes you say that? Because uh, based on my understanding, they're going to have pretty similar levels of performance. Maybe the Series S is a little. No, the Series S should be around an Xbox One X performance, Dan. Yeah, that's what I mean. So they're discontinuing that because it's going to be replaced with the Series S. Oh, of course. Right. But then why would they keep making the weaker one? Because I'm going to be honest. I don't think this is going to cost. I mean, when you consider the chassis, the power supply, the it's an old 16 nanometer. One S is 16, like same power supply, because uh, based on my info, the Xbox and and again, plenty of leaks out there saying the same thing, guys, not just me, uh, that the Series S will be 24 compute units, RDNA 2, probably at like 1800 megahertz. It's like that should use probably about the same amount of energy as a 16 nanometer, you know, uh-huh. Series, I mean, One S. So I don't understand why they would make the other one either. Oh, I guess maybe because yeah. there's a disc player. But that doesn't There's, make sense. That and maybe they're going to drop the price of that to like $150 imminently. Mm. And, uh, and so they'll keep, still have that lower price option. I don't know why they're still manufacturing it if they're not manufacturing the other ones, though. I mean, it should, it should yeah. also be clear that there's still probably, even though they're not manufacturing them anymore, there still might be a, is a decent stock floating around the world right now that hasn't been sold yet. So I think what they're thinking mm-hmm. is their stock for the Xbox One X will have dried up by the time uh, the release of the new console happens. That's I, what I think is happening. I think that it's a really good marketing. They could market this really intelligently. Most people game at 1080p. This gives you the architectural benefits of the Series X and the PS5 at a $250 price point, and it's design and it's designed for 1080p like they could say something like that although they've already said it's up to devs if they put it at whatever resolution at whatever frame rate and that it should be around 1x performance anyway so if devs want to make it run games in 1440p you can do that right now for all current gen games and then once games get harder to run it's just a 1080p 60 console same processor same io controllers same ssd as what's in the Xbox Series X, half the price. Yeah, I I think it's a really, uh, it's I think a it's really a very good, good idea. Move. Yeah, especially if they do that and they don't release them alongside each other. Yeah, um, I guess. Yeah, and then again, you know, it's all digital only, so you know they'll make the money back if you buy one game, and then eventually, when you want to upgrade storage, oh, remember Microsoft's insisting on a proprietary SSD. Hmm, why would they do that to make more money back on the digital only version? Yeah, I, I don't know. I think this if they pull this off correctly and they don't say it's our weaker version and it's three hundred fifty dollars or something. See, that's the one thing I'll say. I think even three hundred is too much because I think people are under overestimating the cost of the PS5. I really think people are. And if I'm wrong, then I'm wrong. But I really think people 
need to get I really think the digital only PS5 could be closer could be cheaper than you guys think I really do yeah and I think the problem is um the PS4 and Xbox one have both held their values way more than mm, consoles that's a good usually point do. too so, so it's gonna look like a bigger bombshell than it really should like the PS4 costs like 150 bucks to make guys like y- yes. they could they could have dropped price if they wanted to it's just mining boom Turing no competition from Xbox this gen why lower the price? Yeah, so keep in mind, I think the Xbox One S, that still retails for $300, I think. Um, I think it's usually like $250. I haven't checked. Okay, well, regardless, though, so if it, if it releases for $250 or $300, they're basically saying, we're replacing the Xbox One S uh, uh, at this price point with an Xbox One, a better Xbox hmm. One X, That's essentially. sold out on Amazon right now, so I can't get a fair price. Yeah. Hmm. But yeah. Um, I, I guess I'm trying to think the one thing I'll say is I think the rumor is they're going to try to just focus on games in the series X, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that terrible name Uh, just keeps confusing me this week, frankly, a day after this podcast, I believe comes out. And so I just want to touch on that, that I think the two things, the series S reveal supposedly in August, although I wouldn't rule them out, pushing it up to this week. And look, on Thursday, if Microsoft has some giant bombshells, there's a good chance I will get a video out that evening. But we're not going to cover it in this podcast. We could have delayed this podcast to cover it, but we don't, we're not going to do that. The podcast comes out Wednesday, guys. Sometimes I push it up to Tuesday if I can, but otherwise it's Wednesday. And I will be having on a, I'm unfortunately forgot his name right now, um, YouTuber on who does dis, digital foundry like analysis and frame rate analysis for Xbox and PlayStation games. He's going to be my next guest. So we're not going to cover the reveal in this episode. We will cover it in depth with someone who is used to analyzing this as all he does on his channel the following week. So I'll just throw that out there, you guys. And that's where you'll get the full thoughts. But so this is kind of just us talking about what we expect in this episode before any reveals happen. Yeah. And uh, given the person you have on, I don't think. I, I don't think that your next uh, uh, podcast that comes out will feel untimely then. Or or if we had to talk about it the next following Wednesday, it might feel a bit out of date. But given who you're talking to, I think this should that should be perfectly but, adequate but, to you know, discuss it. I think it. that's good, you know. And, and I am taking this weekend off and visiting so, um, some friends. Um, all pre-quarantined and safely, by the way. <laughs> um, but... Uh, we haven't seen each other for so many months, but uh, so, so I'll be I'll be pretty much off this weekend. But I sh- I may have a video out Thursday, and this is our pre-reveal thoughts. And there will be very very the time to digest well thought out thoughts the following week. But uh, let us move on to story number eight. Also Xbox Xbox Live Gold yearly subs no longer available. Fueling speculation of big changes coming to the service. I did a video about it. I smell huge <laughs> changes that they're just going to combine these together. And it's funny. I, I never thought of it this way. Maybe just not even raise the price. But this is a de facto price increase, frankly, guys. If you it can't could, buy it in one year anymore. Yeah, it could be. It could. The other rumor I heard is that they might be. Well, not rumor. The other speculation I heard is that this might indicate that they're discontinuing xbox uh uh, xbox live gold for one reason or another and Mm. if they're discontinuing it in three months hint hint around when the console comes out the Uh, you shouldn't be able to that it would be 
wrong for them to charge you for a year of subscription for something they're going to discontinue in three months. Now they could just give you a refund for that nine months, but yeah. And they might need to. Yeah. Again. Right. So, so I don't know exactly what they'll do, but again, this gives us more hints that it's like, no, they really are going to do this thing where they combine everything. Hopefully what they'll at least do is lower the monthly cost. That would be good. I mean, if you forced, if you made the barrier of entry $10 a month, but you combined everything into that, I think that could work out well. But it is a de facto price increase for what there is now since you can't buy it separately anymore. If that's all you wanted, I guess. Yeah, and you're talking about if they uh, combine Game Pass and Xbox uh, Gold, right? Yeah, and then then xCloud too, once that streaming service is ready. Which, yeah, you could say, well, it is objectively a better, uh, it's a better uh, service that I'm getting that I have to pay more money for now. Well, some people don't want to pay that more money because they don't care about Games Pass or xCloud. But I mean, I guess for the value proposition, it still probably wouldn't be bad. Well, this is a diverging strategy going on right now. That's why I think this next generation is going to be so interesting. First of all, they're taking different approaches to a certain degree with the architecture of their consoles. Um, And additionally, I really think Sony is, as we're about to get to, in several PlayStation stories, doubling down on just a next-gen gaming experience, but a full next generation. You can see this. I think Jeff Keighley talking to a Sony marketing person and the Sony marketing guy in the final interview is just really emphasizing. We believe in generations. We believe that a next gen game should be next gen and not playable on your own thing. And Microsoft's just looking at it from a different way of like, well, you know, frankly, we've never won any generation. So why do we keep focusing on this? We're a software company. Let's just make an ecosystem of games with a tantalizing monthly price. And Sony's just looking at it and we want to change gaming every gen and we want to keep doing that. Yeah, and I've, I, I've actually heard, it, this is just a thought I have right uh, right now, but it's almost seeming like uh, that whole idea of games as a service model you've heard some companies taking now with like uh, what they try to do with like the Division 2, Destiny, all mm-hmm. of that. It almost sounds like what Xbox might be going for is a console as a service model, where it's just like you're just getting a constant stream of games. You never really own any of them, but it's like, I always have these games available and it's there. And Sony is just going for a more traditional, a more traditionalist view of what the consoles are. And we'll see which one wins out. Right. Microsoft might go, we're literally going to give you this would be $200 cheap version of the console, the Series S. We're just going to give it to you for free. We have to sign a two year contract for $15 a month for two years. And guess what? You also need to pay us if you want to upgrade storage. Whereas yeah. Sony's like, nope, you own it. And we're trying to give you new experiences. It's yeah. I think this is going to be the most, ah, man, I'm just like PC gaming, console gaming. I think we're fine. We're getting into a far, far, far more interesting period in gaming hardware in the coming years. Like seriously. Yeah, I know. And I, I think it will be interesting to see like, is the traditional approach to games more appealing to most people? Like, that's the thing. It Does Sony do it well still? Do they do it better than they've ever? Because that's something I've said is I think Sony can easily win if they just nail it, but they have to nail it. I think it's an easy victory if they nail it, but they have to nail it. And and, and some people are like, you're stating the obvious. I'm like, no, nah, not really. <laughs> I don't think I am. I think it's like they need more exclusives than they've ever had before. New 
features than more features than their competition has in a killer price point. And then it just and then it just all needs to work well because Microsoft's yeah. going for a you know 3D chess move, as I've said. And so they're gonna make people question if they should even buy into the old model. Sony's job is to convince you not only is the old model good, but this old model is now better than ever. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And yeah, we'll see what happens with Sony, uh, Xbox, I mean, because it seems like Microsoft now is trying to hearken in that era that we've all talked about it might be the future where, I don't know, all of these consoles are virtual or whatever. Like, this sounds like more of the precursor to that than what Sony's doing. Except finding a way to do it that isn't this preposterous idea of only yes. having the cloud <laughs> streaming option, which even yes. PS Now lets you download games, by the way. like, And it's because, like, it's not that, it, guys... No, we're not streaming most of the time <laughs> because streaming sucks. <laughs> yeah, and it always will. It's always going to be more latency. Story number nine. Sony invests $250 million into the Fortnite maker Epic. Now, this comes from, I believe, VentureBeat. Uh, Sony has invested $250 million for a minority stake in the Fortnite maker Epic. The company's announced today. With the new money, Epic has raised $1.83 billion to date. Epic confirmed it will still be able to publish to other platforms, of course. As noted, Sony is acquiring only a minority part of Epic and is not acquiring a controlling stake. Sony's stake is actually only 1.4%, which means the deal values Epic actually at $17.86 billion, almost $18 billion. Yeah, so I guess there are a few things I just want to say right away that I think this actually does scream of Sony being impressed with the demo they showed and wanting to park money somewhere where it'll make more money. And Epic is printing money in the past five years. So that makes sense. And remember, Epic isn't, and this is something I've had developers say to me recently too, is, dude, Unreal Engine 5 is about, like the Mandalorian uses Unreal Engine 4, I believe. So like Unreal Engine 5 is not just about gaming. It's about making movies that look really, really good easily in a game engine. And that this is a, Unreal Engine 5, half of what makes it such a big deal is how much they could start taking over the Hollywood space with it. <laughs> well, yeah, and just with uh, you saying they're printing money at this point, if you would have told me uh, a few years ago that Fortnite would be one of the most profitable games of like all time, I would have called you crazy. But that game is still printing money like three or four years later. Epic has figured out a way to monetize their products in ways no other company has figured out yet and they don't come off as greedy either again their new contract model i saw for unreal engine 5 is basically indie devs can use full unreal engine 5 for free and they even get to keep the first million dollars not of revenue of profit before they pay epic anything if you're an indie dev done signing up with unreal engine 5 well yeah especially some of those indie devs i I, they doubt they'll ever make a million dollars on one of their games um i don't know if that's like a joint thing like this production company once you make over a million dollars you share profits or is that yeah that's right so once you i think it's well yeah per game like epic probably gets i don't actually know the percentage cut of each copy sold after that or not just each copy sold then right anything monetized in the game after the first million dollars worth of profits um and, and you know if you're an indie dev you would want this too because it seems like one of the most scalable engines i've ever seen in my life as we will get to now in story number 10 unreal engine 5's nanite tech can easily render a million high poly objects at 60 frames per second on ps5 
that the demo we saw at 1440p 30 frames, well, usually it was a dynamic resolution and frame rate thing, yeah. um, was actually rendering 33 million polygon objects and that most games will use far less than that and that they say they can easily render next-gen polygon assets above 60 frames at higher resolutions. And in fact, that demo was only using, and for me, this is the biggest part, only using 768 megabytes of RAM. Like, to me, that shows them just flexing how much you can basically move the rendering off of traditional methods and into, you know, the I.O., the the next-gen SSDs. That's what this is about. In reality, next-gen games are going to use, you know, all that GDR6 and more... And at high, and then probably run at higher resolutions. But seeing seven sixty eight megabytes of RAM, this is epic. Saying you can run a version of this on a smartphone, guys. Yeah, and also like this was all to say. Also, also to say the demo they showed was to highlight the I/O, uh, like how this can utilize which I/O is a new well. feature, which they say was a major problem with the previous version. By the way, mm-hmm. which I would say if you think of previous Unreal's, maybe not Unreal Engine four at least. But it wasn't as popular as 3. I mean, I remember the PS360 gen. Everything was freaking Unreal Engine 3. <laughs> and I mean, you could tell an Unreal Engine game because it didn't seem that high polygon. Yeah, and hearing that that only used 768 megabytes of RAM is almost unbelievable to me. But I mean, yeah, it's very clear that that IO does... <laughs> IO means performance now, guys. Again, it's just different directions you can scale. Pro, you know, yes. CPU power, GPU power. How much RAM do you have so that you can access it faster by both the CPU and GPU? And then how much data can you stream in from the SSD? These are now the four ways of scaling performance, basically. And all four of them are apparently really important now, whereas they were just completely neglecting storage before. And again, 768 megabytes of RAM and 33 million polygon assets, at least even just keeping 30 frames is insane to me. And I mean, I think most current gen games are about, I mean, I think the most impressive games they said were like 500,000 polygons. So you can still go to like, you know, like they said, you can still do 1 million polygons, which is typically actually 10 times what most current games use per asset. And so if you're doing 10 times 100,000 polygon count, and then still now running at 4K60. I mean, I'm excited. I'm so excited <laughs> to see what next-gen games look like. And I just want to say this one more time, devs. For the love of God, I don't care. Can you please make the standard 60 frames and lower the resolution slightly from 4K? Who cares? <laughs> I really hope that um, Assassin's Creed isn't a, an indication of what the next-gen will be. Where they're like, yeah, we're 4K, but we're still... 30 frames per second, because fuck you. <laughs> you know, I actually did see today that the PlayStation 5, the, the Spider-Man game, Miles Morales, will have a 4K60 mode. Awesome. <laughs> so there you go. All right, final story. We did this, play, uh, the uh, Xbox News, final PlayStation one. Sony reportedly increasing production to 10 million consoles. And I quote from IGN, Sony is said to have begun... PS5 mass production in June, and under the latest plan, expects to assemble 5 million units by the end of September and another 5 million between October and December. So there it is, guys. I was told in June by a source that they had already started production, which now turns out to be true. And I was told, I believe, before June that 
Behind the scenes, AMD is confident that both consoles will launch with plenty of availability this year, despite the coronavirus. So it's done. I was right. Those sources now have a lot more clout in my mind that I'm seeing this. When sh- I mean, uh, and this is what I've been saying. Yeah. I just don't get it, guys. It's an automated building process. It uses GDR6 and 7 nanometer. This is not alien tech. And a lot of the production is in Taiwan, the country that famously handled coronavirus the best. <laughs> yep. This is exciting, though. This And again, I think, you know, 10 million units in the first year. This is a full, big, oh, red-blooded American launch. <laughs> And uh, it's going to be, you know, this to me suggests they plan to sell them. I think, I think 450 and 350 is what they might go with, but we'll see. I think, I think, I, three, so. I think 400 for the digital, 500 for the top one's the most it's going to cost at this point. And I, I've always thought that people are overestimating the cost. I mean, yeah, and 10 million consoles, I think that might suggest that it might be, they might be anticipating a more robust launch than. Even the PS4. I think so. I think that should be close to the PS4's launch year, if not more. Yeah, I think so. And I mean, I think this also like given indications that we've seen people assume that all of the this uh, all of these like, quote unquote, luxury markets like uh, consoles would be and gaming would be depressed during the coronavirus. But no uh, sales for gaming's actually been doing pretty well. Yeah, yeah so they're, they're really high. They're higher than usual. And it's because people are fucking bored. And the people that have money are going to are going to spend money to stop being bored. To say about half of people during this do still have their money. That's the thing is it's just there's a part of the market or should I say part of the population that's been hit really hard. That's the one thing I'll say, though, about this, though, is everything's fine and dandy now. Uh, just being honest, everyone listening, things are spiking again. Uh, there could be, I've heard there will be more layoffs early next year, even if things weren't spiking. So, so one thing yeah. I will still say is, I don't know, I, I, I think, I think the, I've always, you know, I've said, I think at most 470, and I, I think early this year, I was, I think last year I was saying, I think the PS5 costs like 420, 440 to make. That's with the disc version. So I really wouldn't rule out 449. And then you move the disc player, they could do 349, 399. But it wouldn't surprise me if they went all the way down to 349 for the same reason Xbox may go to like even 200 with their digital version is it's like, well, they're locking you into their store. So no more disc-based games. It makes sense to like push you. Just give me that extra nudge. Get the digital version. (laughs) Yeah. Which one would you get? Are you getting a digital version of either of these consoles? Uh, I still haven't decided yet. I don't know. For some reason, I just want a disc player. I'm I'm old school. It, there's a uh, weird... I would on PC if they still had any point in it, but there's there's literally no uh, point in the horrific. I remember when people were still buying discs. Remember our cousin Justin? He bought the disc based version of like Battlefield Four, I think it was for yeah, PC, and it, and it just didn't work. Like he was like, anytime <laughs> we wanted to play, he had to find all like six of his DVDs and try to install it. Yeah, I mean, it's just at a certain point the it became so inconvenient for discs on PC and that might be where it heads with console eventually, but maybe right now, I don't know. It gives for now me it makes physical... sense to include a Blu-ray player though. And that can fit the whole game. Yeah. And it gives you a physical memento of the game, which I know some people are like, well, that's stupid, but I don't know. I like having it. No. Yeah, I agree. Um, all right, let's move on to the final reader mails, Dan. Neo writes in and he says, considering we will have for the first time equal architectures are close between PC and console. Yeah, I would just say 
equal architectures. They're not the <laughs> same, though. Both consoles. And I want to not to cut you off here, Nero. Um, but I, I want to say this. I've seen in the comments people like, do you see this new thing? The PS5 is RDNA 1. And I use that dumb voice because, oh my God, guys, there are certain parts of the RDNA architectures that they've stripped out in both the Xbox and PlayStation. And yeah. in fact, there's parts of what I'm told is RDNA 3 or even 4 in them as well. They don't include the parts they don't need. Right? It's a console. Why do you think the Xbox is 360 millimeters squared with 56 compute units in the full die and eight cores built in? It's because they stripped out some of the frequency scaling things that I think the PS5 actually kept so that they could make a, I think, according to Sony, smaller die that boosts and keeps a certain boost clock 99% of the time. But Xbox wanted to go with, they're both keeping different parts of the architectures that they think make sense for their uh, vision for a console. So I just want to point that out, that it is equal. All devs say this too, that this is, the closest thing to call it is RDNA 2. But even AMD said neither console is exactly RDNA 2. Neither. That's why you say it's RDNA 2 based. It's not RDNA 1.5. It's not RDNA 2.5. It's a mix of RDNA 2, 3, maybe 4, and maybe some stuff from 1. It's But it's based off of 2. Exactly. Anyways, to continue his question. Have you heard anything that might suggest AMD will finally get an edge in developer support on the PC side? I mean, I think they're kind of getting that already. I think the only thing they have left to do is take some decent market share on PC again with hopefully RDNA 2. And then, yeah. But then he goes on, would that inherently improve AMD's drivers? Um, I think it would actually help a little, but that's AMD that needs to make them work. And again, I do think AMD's drivers are overblown that they're bad most years in the past decade i've had more problems with nvidia cards drivers than amd i guess that's the way i would put it uh lately nvidia has been pretty good for me though and then recently last fall as i've covered even did a broken silicon on it i think it was like 37.5 if i remember right um i yeah they were terrible they were terrible around christmas time and i have nothing to say (laughs) except that that was the first time ever where i was like the first time in a decade, I should say, where per, for me personally, you know, your mileage will vary. But for me personally, I was like, wow, AMD is worse right now in drivers. And it's up to them to make sure that never happens again. And again, the only thing I can say is internally, AMD is like, knows how bad that was. Like they know. Yeah. And they're, yeah. they're not happy about it. And they don't want to let that happen again. But anyways, he goes on. What are your thoughts on the software side of things? Only that AMD needs to try to match everything NVIDIA has. I mean, that's really all I have to say. Yeah, I, I mean, so, yeah, he ends up with saying AMD seems to lag behind with technologies like DLSS and RTX voice. And I do have to agree to agree. At I, some I point, agree to a certain extent, honestly, like they didn't have uh, G-Sync right away. Yeah, at some point, AMD does need to be the thought leader in a uh, new tech where it's like, yeah, a, uh, NVIDIA comes out with free sync, I mean, G-Sync and AMD comes out with free sync pretty uh pretty soon afterwards but at some point they need to be the person that the uh, they look like a budget brand if they keep taking longer to do that yeah exactly and i don't think it will happen with rdna 2 but maybe it'll happen with three or four where they start to actually introduce the new stuff instead of just responding to what nvidia well so here's the the thing though um with amd they have though like they had ifinity 
they had the triple monitor thing. That's true. If you remember back when we back, I mean, because we've been gaming for a while on PC, they had that before. It was better than NVIDIA. It was generally considered better. And then they also had like 3D audio. They've had audio tech above NVIDIA for a long time by all counts. It's just most people don't pay attention to audio and I think they really should. But also AMD hasn't done jack shit to market it. Like I've heard like the 290X actually had really incredible audio performance and they never did anything with it to market it. Like that was a real feature. And, And so, you know, at a certain point, I would agree NVIDIA has been leading mostly over the past five years or so. But AMD, if they make a new feature, because they used to make new features. I think they had HDR before NVIDIA, like long before there were almost anything that could use it. Like <laughs> they've had these things and, and and most people think they have better color. I notice it. I think they have better color than NVIDIA. At least if you compare like Maxwell to what AMD had at the time. I don't know if Turing makes it any better. I assume they're going to have to start fixing that once now that HDR is becoming more standard. But um, yeah, I mean, AMD's just got to make sure people know when they have these features. And that's a problem, though, uh, that I'll say immediately is apparent to me. What are the what's the difference between all these features you're saying that our AMD has over NVIDIA? There's not a little box that you can click that says you turned on your new cool NVIDIA feature. (laughs) Like there's no yeah. DLSS switch. There's no, uh, there's no, um, well, yeah, there's no they're, they're fucking somewhat switch. Is on the drivers, but yeah. Yeah. But I wonder how many people will actually go through the effort to do, modify anything in the drivers. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know. I, I think AMD, I think lately we agree though. AMD has been, I think it's fair to say AMD looks like they're following NVIDIA's lead for the past five years and they got to get yeah. over this. And, and and they, I just, for those who got into gaming in the 2013 through 2017 era, PC gaming, I should say, which I think a lot of people who game right now on PC did. I'm just telling you before that AMD introduced the features first and for a while they actually did market it pretty well. I mean, iFinity is still remembered as an AMD thing. Still, to this day, they just... At some point around the Fury, they stopped doing things new or, or even marketing their new features. And that's got to change. I mean, hey, we agree. Yeah. Moe's writes in, have you heard anything in regards to the next Threadripper? Will it launch this year? I kind of doubt it. Uh, and are there any refreshes of TRX 40 boards uh, for Zen 3 Threadripper? I don't know. I would assume so. Also, have you heard about an X670 chipset? Yeah, multiple times, but I've heard it's canceled. Uh, I'm just kind of firing off answers to this guy. <laughs> or are they keeping the 570? Yeah, yeah. So, so I think I answered most of your questions. I mean, there will be a Zen 3 Threadripper, of course. I, I, I personally think it's quarter one. Or like if I were AMD, I'd want to have it come out right before Ice Lake X. So who knows when Ice Lake X may ever come to HEDT. Supposedly it's planned to. Um, but then you know what? They were planning on eight core Ice Lake, by the way, for uh, the standard <laughs> LGA, just so you guys know. They were. They just never released it. So we'll see what happens with Ice Lake X. Although, as of now, it's still planned with higher core counts. Um, the Cascade Lake, I believe. Um, and I just would assume they want to get it out before that. So that should, that should mean quarter one launch. And I just think there's literally zero reason to launch anything quickly with Threadripper right now. Like, why? Yeah. Uh, but it is coming. And I have heard it's just X570 moving forward. Now, I have heard of X670 multiple times, but eh, sounds like no. I mean, yeah, if they don't need to introduce it, why introduce it? Yeah. Carnivore Bear writes in, how close is 3D stacking to a reality? 
Well, Intel is doing it with Lakefield right now, buddy. And are there working stack chips from Fabs or is it all theory? Well, there's been other things that use some form of advanced 3D packaging. I talked about this with Anthony on the last episode, but like the Vita had stacked memory. Sony cameras right now use some form of like stacked memory so that their cameras can do high refresh rates. Uh, Actually, and those are the same cameras iPhone uses, by the way, too. Um, And then I'm trying to think of what else there is. And there's rumors. Yeah, so there are limited amounts of like next to die or on die stacking for a while. It's just been really limited and not super powerful. And right now, Intel's really trying it with Lakefield. And I mean... Yeah, I think you're going to see it in more and more AMD products soon. I don't know. Do you have anything to add to that, Dan? I mean, no. What I would say is, when do you think it'll be a reality? I mean, today? Like, a, <laughs> it's, like it, it exists. Yeah, I mean, but it's it, kind of it, like, um, I'm trying to think of what an analogy, what, what analogy I would make to it, though, is it's like, it's, you know, like when we get at HBM on graphics cards, I would say we're still not even quite to the period of the theory. I mean, I guess you could yeah. say we are. Like, so, so right now, we're at 3D stacking where HBM was when the Fury came out, like 20, was that 2014, I think? Uh, yes, I 20, think so. Oh, okay. Well, I think so. I could be wrong. It could be 2015. I think it was 2014. So I guess what I would say is before we see ubiquity with 3D stacking, you got to give it another three years. But we're going to start seeing it more and more, just like now we're seeing more and more products with HBM. But I don't think everything's going to be using it for like four years. I mean, Zen 2 is supposed to be the big 3D stack thing from AMD. Alder Lake is late next year. So, I mean, yeah, I guess give it a year and a half and 3D stacked products will be around. Yeah, definitely. And and in a very limited sense, they already are. Yeah. Well, then, that's all the reader mail. That's all the news stories. That's all of the rambling for the most part, unless, I don't know. <laughs> We did it. I mean, is there any anything else you want to cover? No, I don't think so. But we fucking did it, bro. <laughs> fucking nailed it, Brock. Well, all right, everybody. Uh, I'll say it one more time. This is fan supported. Patreon does allow us to, well, basically tell <laughs> advertisers to not put any giant two minute. I had another advertiser reach out and say we want a two minute ad at the start of your video. They said two to five minute. And I said, mm. oh, so I just won't have a video. Then I'll just have your ad. And it's like <laughs> having patrons predominant, the, the bigger proportion of our income that is just people supporting us is uh, what gives us the power to say whatever the hell we want. I do not yeah. expect us to get any samples from AMD or Intel or NVIDIA though, as we continue to take dumps on them every now and then every episode. <laughs> It's kind of like that uh, Sacred Symbols podcast where it's technically a PlayStation podcast, but Sony hates them because he talks shit about them every episode. <laughs> yeah. And, and I hope to stay that way. Uh, so, you know, if you have the extra scratch, consider not hitchhiking and joining the Patreon. You do get these podcasts early and ad free. You do get to submit, submit reader mail. You do get to early access to uh flyover states as well and then you get exclusive access at the corresponding tiers to die shrink a supplementary podcast where we talk about things you vote on us to talk about extra things like the vega hype like early crt monitors like intel's foray into smartphones that failed horribly which we'll be doing soon and then you also get other little bits and pieces like hits and gems and you know free questions for loose ends there's all this stuff out there for you you want to support us and do please remember to subscribe on your preferred podcast app. If you listen to podcasts, 
Because if we get into the top 10 of the technology podcasts, we've come close before. I guarantee people will just pull out their podcast app and be like, what the heck is broken silicon and start listening to us there. I have seen that, Dan, by the way. I don't know if you knew this. I don't know if I told you this. I've seen multiple people in recent YouTube videos say, oh, so this is what Tom looks like. You look different than what I expected from the podcast. So there Mm -hmm. is definitely a community of people just listening to the podcast every week. Well, that's that's cool. I, I I wonder how much that community will expand. I hope it expands big uh, a, a lot, and we get some some uh, people going from the podcast over to your channel. That would be pretty cool. And it's, and it's, speaking of expanding things bigly, let's constrict them smallly and close this episode. <laughs> Fucking nailed it. Again. Alrighty. All right. Bye. Bye, everybody. The following podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website, Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Law is Dead podcast, videos, articles, and other media. However, Moore's Law is Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother, Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, and select technical editing by Carbon Cry. You can find all of our information, including how to get a hold of us, at www.moreslawsdead.com. And if you are a fan and would like to send mail or other hardware, please mail parcels to Moore's Laws Dead, P.O. Box 10468, Peoria, Illinois, 61612. And speaking of fans, without exaggeration, the patrons are solely responsible for the continued distribution of the content you just listened to. And so if you have some extra money, but only if you do, please consider supporting us. For just $2 a month, you get access to the exclusive podcast, Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to have your questions read aloud on Broken Silicon, Die Shrink, and Loose Ends, and of course, the Moore's Law is Dead Discord full of like-minded people who would love to meet you. I am one of them. The Discord is only at $1, and at higher tiers, you get access to ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the back catalog of Flyover States podcast, thanks in the credits of videos and podcasts and other perks as well. And if you cannot afford to support us, please just share Moore's Laws Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family on social media and Reddit. And give Broken Silicon and Flyover States a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. All of this really does help so much more than I think anyone realizes. If you'd like to advertise on the podcast or a person of interest who would like to be a guest, please reach out to the email address mlhbdead at gmail.com. But as I said, this podcast would not be possible without its fans supporting it. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher producer levels. Bootman, Carbon Cry, Dean, Benny Berlin, Justin Yunt, Thomas Rupp, I Love You, Lemon Jam, Bollocks, Joshua Albin, Muhammad Al-Khwari, Frederick Lau, James Crasser, Justin Pear, Zachary Martin, Aaron Tarrant, Brad Medlin, Phil S. Thyrus with the Ninth Dude, Greg Renegar, TSPCFS, Chrysantine, Night Rogue 77, The Mechanical Philosopher, Lebo King Kilo, Fatboy Diesel, Daniel Hyde, Matthew McMullen, Christoph Novak, Jack O'Neill, Matt Salem, Aaron Close, Sexy, VI Pass, Sadler Sadler, Isaiah Gosner, Lethros, Telos, Hey There's a Kitty, Greg T. Wanchuk, Jacob Barber, Exodia, Extra Santana, Matthew Lane, Paul Jones, Dan Rauner, Rubber Duck, Street of Full, Ali Robertson, Eric Jackson, Jonathan, Job, Evan Dingle, Dominique Cox, Stefan, Original Ross, Wayne, Sam MacArthur, Total Silos, Sol Connor, Michael Costa, Andrew S., Blake, Aaron Keith, Gary Baldino, Endless Loggins, Tom San Filippo, Justin Brennan, Ivan K., Trevor Powers, Garrett Scholl, Elenia, Joshua Stavnis, Daniel Nishball, Franco Frederick, Hardware Numbers, Alex Carastillo, 
Dark Rain 2049, Layton Perry, Mac, Carlos Valdez, Carnivore Bear, and Macdo 226. And of course, thank you to Sahara for the music. 